Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com. Thank you for joining this Community IT Podcast Part 2. You can find Part 1 in your podcast feed if you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the Community IT Innovators presentation on artificial intelligence and ethics for nonprofits. My name is Carolyn Woodard. I'm the Outreach Director for Community IT, and I'll be the moderator today. My name is Johan Hammerstrom. I'm the CEO at Community IT. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Detroya. Um, I'm a strategic advisor with Project Evident and I'm focused on product innovation. So uh, there's a there's a there's a tool that is using um, actually a recommendation engine to identify students who are overlooked for AP or IB classes. Um, it's called Equal Opportunity Schools. That's always been their program model, but they've done that by a human. And they've had a human look at school-based data, attendance, um, uh, grade point average, as well as their own survey data that they would collect inside the school, as well as some types of data that is outside in the community. They're now using a recommendation engine to bring census tract data, school data, as well as their own collected data to then recommend which students are being overlooked. Now, importantly, that recommendation is not then just being given to the school. The recommendation is being given to the coach, the frontline staff person who it was always part of their job to find those overlooked students. They now just have a machine learning application, a recommendation engine that's making those recommendations to them for them to verify. It frees up their time um, so that they can be more efficient in their decision making and spend more of their time focused on making sure that the students who do end up in those classes are successful, which is the other part of their job. First of all, sir, that's an it's an amazing example. I loved hearing about that organization and the approach that they took. And I think one of the things that really stood out to me is that it was so human-centered and human-focused. And certainly the mission focus keeps recentering them on the human need and the human objective. And I think one of the big challenges that we all face not just in nonprofits, but in society as a whole, is the fear that these tools are going to replace humans. And certainly, you know, that's a big motivator behind um, a lot of the labor strikes is this fear that, um, you know, the, the objective of the tool is to generate profit, not to solve human problems. So there's just such a wonderful opportunity for nonprofits to use these tools in a very different way and really become an example for how these tools can um, help society rather than, you know, enriching uh, small segments of, of society. One of the challenges is that these tools have been really developed and honed by the commercial sector, which means profitability and scalability are the two most important design criterion. And, um, you know, uh, ethics and equity are not. That's not, that's not how those organizations are incentivized or compensated. I think one of the powerful things we can do as a sector is get involved with AI, um, even though it's not perfect, because if we wait for it to be perfect, we'll never be a part of it, by the way. Um, we will definitely make mistakes because that's the only way people learn is to make mistakes. 
But if we start demanding tools that have that are not biased and have um, equity at the center of their design, that market pool is going to eventually exert an influence on the market. Um, and so I think I think getting involved is one of the ways that we shape the market. And I think in, in order to be able to do that, it definitely helps to understand some of the problems or challenges that exist with yeah. the current tools in terms of their data biases, um, yeah. the ethical issues that are kind of inherent to how the tools have been built. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about yeah, that. Absolutely. So there are two, first of all, I just want to be clear that all data and all models have bias. I love that we are talking about AI and bias. It's so important because of the scalability of technology. Um, uh, but I, I, I want to bring the same level of focus for whenever we're talking about data and whenever we're talking about models. Those models are, data and models are collected and crafted by human beings. We are creatures of bias. Our bias is reflected in those tools. So I just, I want to kind of put that out. Where you see bias come in, uh, in AI or is in two places. One is the data sets on which something is trained. And then the second is the algorithmic model that underpins the application. So think about, we've talked a bunch about ChatGPT. We've talked about the fact that it was trained on all the data on the internet up to 2021. How much of the data on the internet is from the global south versus the global north? I mean, there's a, there's a pretty European, American, global north centered information that's on the internet relative to other countries and other parts of the globe. So you can think about the bias that already exists in ChatGPT just around Global North, Global South, let alone other isms that are a reflection of our society that have been magnified or maybe just mirrored um, uh, you know, on the internet. So you know, if you want to hire more women and you're using a data set to try and figure out who is successful and likely to get promoted, this is actually a real example, uh, and all of your data is really showing that men tend to get promoted inside your organization. If you use that as your training data, as a way of figuring out which resumes that you should look at that are going to be recommended to you, it's going to not recommend that you see any women female resumes because you've just taught the algorithm by the data set that that is not the type of person that can be successful in your organization. Even if your intent at the beginning was to diversify your organization. So who is in and who is not in your data set is incredibly important in terms of training your algorithm. The second place where bias uh, comes, comes in is just the algorithm itself. Now, rarely are algorithms, I won't say never, but my assumption is rarely is an algorithm saying, we don't want women, we don't want Catholics, we don't want XYZ, right? That that's not likely what's happening. What's happening is that the algorithm is valuing something that is more likely to be associated with a race, a ethnicity, a religion, or a gender. So really interesting case study from Women's World Banking. They were looking at algorithms that were being used to decide who was getting um, microloans by different microlending um, and banks uh, globally. They noticed that women were not getting as many of these loans. And what they saw in the algorithm is that when it was waiting, um, uh, uh, prior work experience, retail work experience, or work experience in the home 
was not weighted as highly as work experience in an office or work experience on a job site. So because of the weighting was different and that women had a greater propensity to have retail experience or work in the home, they were not getting nearly as many of the loans because they were not deemed as creditworthy. It didn't say we favor men over women. It was something else that was in the algorithm. So often there's a hunt to figure out what do you what are you putting in your algorithm that is actually telegraphing a bias because it's correlated to a certain subgroup of people. And how do you identify those biases? Just through testing the algorithm? Are there a other couple ways? different ways? Yeah. So a couple different ways. So one is you can, first of all, if you're gonna buy an ML tool or, or work. Uh, you know, work with somebody around an ML to, uh, machine learning tool, uh, you can ask questions around like, what data set was this trained on? You know, I want the evidence that this was trained on, you know, a full data set that had subgroup, you know, subgroups that matter to me that were well represented, um, maybe didn't include some information that I, you know, hate speech or whatever that I don't want to have represented. So you can ask about what data was actually used for training. On the algorithms, they have to be bias tested. Uh, harder to do if you're talking to, you know, Microsoft Copilot around, you know, huge companies around what they did. It's going to be hard for us to get much purchase around getting feedback on that. But you can have the algorithms tested for bias. And then, you know, algorithms are not a set it and forget it activity. So if you do have an algorithm that's inside your organization that you've had custom built or that you're using, every new piece of data, you've trained it on old data. But every new piece of data that comes through is fuel. It's learning for that algorithm. So algorithms can drift because they're, they're sort of live creations with every piece of information that comes through them. So you have to be really vigilant on continuing to test and watch your algorithms to make sure they're giving the responses that, um, that make sense for your populations and, um, and your, your values. That's so interesting. It's kind of a whole new way of thinking about technology tools, the 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 idea that they evolve, you know, yeah. over time. Um, that's kind of a new a new way of thinking about it for me at least. You know, my my impression has always been, well, this is a spreadsheet and this is what it does. And it's, you know, it just calculates all the numbers and and that's mm-hmm. it. So it's interesting to to think about technology in this way. Um, I could Keep asking you questions for two more hours, Sarah, but I don't want to monopolize um, the webinar here today. We've got some great questions coming in. So the first question is um, about AI policy. Uh, Mm -hmm. What kind of policies should nonprofits have? Are there templates that you would recommend um, nonprofits using? So I I think at at a minimum, folks need to have uh, an AI policy in place just for your team who is using chat GPT, maybe using Otter AI, might be uploading documents into Grammarly. Um, I think the, you know, what's important for you as an organization is an agreement, you know, across the staff or with the executive team of what is, what is open information that's shareable, what is private information, but it's shareable because it's been de-identified. And then what is, frankly, is either personal information or intellectual property, which cannot be shared. And sharing is as simple as I uploaded it into ChatGPT to see, you know, to get a good summary of this. 
or to compare it to you know other models that are out there in the world. If you upload something into ChatGPT, or if you invite Otter AI into your meeting, the fine print on both of those tools is that your information becomes part of their fuel, right? It becomes part of their training data. It also becomes part of the data that they can use to respond to new questions, new inquiries that come their way. Um, there have been some, right when ChatGPT came out, there were a bunch of news stories about companies that, you know, folks had uploaded customer data, they had uploaded intellectual property, um, and folks didn't realize that they were essentially taking stuff that is not shareable in their organization and making it shareable for everybody. So really important because there are a bunch of tools out there that don't require you to sort of officially be a part of your tech stack. They're just available to consumers. Um, really important to have a policy around how people might be using those tools to decrease their work burden and what data is shareable and what data really isn't shareable. It's amazing. Like that, that takes the whole concept of shadow IT you know, to a whole new level that, you know, AI in your stack and AI outside of your stack and really thinking yeah. about your stack, your data, you know, it's a great um, conceptual model um, for thinking about where all these things are going in IT. Um, I'll restrain myself from asking more questions and ask another question from our audience. Um, what human capacity resources do you recommend? Um, some level of information management leadership for policy development, process and tech adoption uh, with the development of an internal data science analyst office that would support program staff to help advance the outcomes of their logic models. It, it's kind of like a whole new way of thinking about the IT department. What what recommendations do so, you have? So this is so this depends on it depends on your strategy. It depends on your goals. So if you are a nonprofit like Crisis Text Line, Talking Points, Will.org. These are all organizations that uh, they're AI natives. You know, they were founded with their program model has AI embedded in it. Those organizations have to have data scientists on staff. You know, they have to have a technology team that's doing internally facing work, but they have to have a technology team that's just focused on their algorithms and the technology they're using that's the core of their program model. Um, they also need so they have to have data scientists as part of that team. They also have to have a data scientist on their measurement, evaluation, and learning team, right? Because the, the amount of data and the ability to analyze that data is radically different if you are an, an AI-native-centered organization. That's really different than if you're a community-based nonprofit that you know, wants to incorporate ChatGPT into your fundraising. You know, you can probably ask ChatGPT, what's a good policy for fundraisers around um, around AI? By the way, there is going to be an upcoming conference called um, Fundraising AI. That's going to be a two-day conference that's free. Um, that's just all about fundraising and AI, because I know that often comes up for folks. Um, so it, it really depends on what's your purpose, what's your goal. You know, I recommend for, for nonprofits that are just getting involved in something, create advisory committees. You know, look for uh, a board member that has expertise that can join your board. That can you know, that can help you with some of the operational pieces before you decide this is going to be a significant part of who we are, and we have to have our own embedded staff. And again, it all depends on what you're trying to do. I mean, the 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 tools are going to increasingly become drag and drop. 
that can be complicated because those tools are black box. You may not know the data that they were trained on. You may not know whether or not the algorithm matches your values. But that those assets are going to be available to you. And increasingly, there are good you know, algorithms that are available um, uh, through GitHub you know, that are just open. And the development of algorithms is becoming more Lego-like versus custom coding. So even the cost of developing custom algorithms is coming down. So it is going to come in your direction. But the question is, what do you want to do with it? And how much is it going to be at the center of what you're planning to do as an organization? And I would hope that there are, you know, sector-wide incentives for making sure those black box tools are either more transparent or, you know, ensuring that they don't have bias or, um, cause I could just, you know, see yeah. the, the misuse of some of these tools really undermining, um, objectives that organizations are pursuing. And this is one of the reasons why I think it's so important that, um, uh, I know Carolyn shared a blog that I wrote with the Center for Effective Philanthropy that was specifically around philanthropy getting involved. But I believe the same is true for nonprofits. I think if we stand on the sidelines while AI technology is being developed, we won't have a chance to make sure that equity and bias are really attended to in product development because nobody else is asking for that right now. I won't say nobody else is asking for it. Nobody's getting paid to deliver it right now. I hate to break in because we're getting close to time. Um, I wanted to just say thank you so much, Sarah, for all of this. And for those of you that have a couple more questions um, in the Q&A and all of the great questions we got at registration, we're going to try and answer all of them and also try to put all of these uh, great links and resources that Sarah has been mentioning today in the transcript. Um, I feel like we hit all of our learning objectives, learning what we mean when we talk about AI for nonprofits, recognizing common AI applications, discussing what organizations need to have in place before implementing AI, and offering examples of nonprofit sector usage of AI. You, know, you had some great stories there. Um, you can also register for upcoming webinars on our website, because even if you can't attend in person, you can get on the mailing list. You can ask your questions at registration um, and suggest topics for, for future webinars for us. So we'd love um, for you to be able to do that. Um, and we have a minute or so left. So I just wanted to ask Sarah before you go, there were a couple of questions about templates. And I'm, I think I've been looking too. I feel like there's no great resources out there yet with policy templates. Is that true? So how, how about if I commit to doing a little bit of research so that okay. when the transcript goes out, I'll have some links for you. But the, I was looking at them while we were talking and they are behind paywalls. Um, so right. the Technology Association of Grantmaker has some. I, I, I will say in developing the um, AI readiness diagnostic, it is pretty incredible what you can ask Check GPT to create for you. So one option is to do multiple iterative asks of Chat GPT to create a policy. Um, but let me see if I can find some example links for folks as well. That sounds great because when I was poking around as well before this webinar, it seems like there's a lot of very, very generic 
yeah. templates out there that maybe aren't um, very geared toward nonprofits or the way nonprofits would want to have that policy in place. So that would just be incredibly useful. And then the other question that we've gotten a couple of times is the risks. Um, Mm -hmm. the risks to nonprofits, maybe risks if you don't have a policy, risks if you're using AI that might come back. So I think there are, I think there are two risks for folks who are, who are just stepping into this. So one is not having a policy that's well understood by your entire team about what is shareable information, what is shareable, but has to be de-identified information. And then what is unshareable. It is intellectual property or it is um, personal information. I think that's just incredibly important for folks to know. I think the the second risk is increasingly AI is just going to be part of your tech stack. Um, so, you know, you, you, there are some places where you might be asked to upgrade something and there are other, you know, play an extra fee to be able to have this AI-based feature. And there are other places where AI is just going to be a part of things. And so I, I really encourage folks to ask their vendors, where is AI in the current product? Um, and where is it going to be in the future, you know, future versions of the product? So you are not caught off guard around your data being used when you haven't even really consented to that. It's just a new feature. So those are, I think those are the two risks for folks who are not you know, uh, proactively going out and trying to build algorithms to, you know, to, to give it that you really have some control over saying yes or no. Yeah, just to keep in mind. I just want to thank you, Sarah, so much for sharing all this expertise with us and giving us a lot of things to think about, a lot of resources to look into. Johan, thank you too so much for your time and for um, being able to interview Sarah today. And uh, thank you everyone who attended and gave us all these great questions at registration. We're going to do our best to answer all of those in the transcript. So I'll let you go on your way. But um, thanks again, everyone. Thank you, Sarah. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining this Community IT Podcast Part 2. You can find Part 1 in your podcast feed if you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community, and we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website, www.communityit.com, so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment. Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders, and you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.